Have you ever uh, seen these videos online where there's this guy and he has a, a, a nice cell phone and he sits down maybe at like a, a bus stop or whatever on the bench and he sets the phone next to him and then he acts like he's falling asleep. And then some people will come by and they'll see that the guy's asleep, they'll see his cell phone and someone inevitably, they take the, the phone from him and they start running away. And it's all a setup for these people. And so they take the phone and as they're walking away, the guy who was pretending like he was sleeping hits a little button and the person with the cell phone gets this nasty shock and it, they drop the phone and then they run away. I enjoy those videos a lot. Uh, another one is where um, they, they'll go into like a park or whatever and they'll have a nice bicycle and they'll set this bike out and then they'll walk away from it and uh, someone will come by and see this bike just sitting there and they will uh, go ahead and start to steal the bike. And so the owner of the bike starts running after them. They'll get on the bike. They'll start biking away only to find out that the bike was tied with a rope to like a fence post. And when they come to the end of the rope, <laughs> they go flying off the bike and landing and run away. I kind of like those videos too. <laughs> Have you ever been stolen from? Have you ever had someone take something from you? It is a terrible feeling. Like you see, feel so violated. You feel so fearful. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but when I was a kid, we had had several incidences where, where someone had tried to break into our home, like while we were there in the night. And, and other times where there's been people who have been just trying to look in our house, like peer in through the windows, kind of creepy. And it makes you feel so like violated, so, so awful. It's a scary feeling. My family now, we live in a pretty secluded uh, cul-de-sac in a subdivision. And some of you guys have been there. You know, there's not very much traffic that goes through there. But, but I'll tell you, every time I go, I still, I got to lock the doors. I got to deadbolt them. Uh, I can't leave my car unlocked in a parking lot. I just, I have to lock it. Uh, you just, it sticks with you when that happens to you, that something's taken from you or attempted at least. Personally, the, the first time I remember having something taken from me, stolen from me, um, not just, you know, from my parents, um, I was working, I was in high school and I was working at a super Kmart and uh, one of my jobs was, my main job was to bring in the, the shopping carts, um, I, I, or what you uncivilized people call buggies around here. I, I will never get used to that term, I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> anyway, so I would push in these shopping carts. Well, in Northeast Ohio, um, in the wintertime, it's pretty cold. So I was taking these shopping carts in, and as I'm pushing one in, uh, a stack in, someone came up behind me, and they stole from me my earmuffs, right off my head. They stole my earmuffs. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Like, it felt so stupid. But I'm sure it was just a dare that they did it. And, and what's so frustrating about this story is that it's not even a good story. Like, I can't talk about the time I was mugged because all they took was my earmuffs. So stupid. And they went off running, and I felt really confused. Like, what just happened here? <laughs> In college, I was working out at our student life center. And uh, while I was working out, someone came into the locker room and they stole my, my watch. But what's funny is I bought this watch uh, on the streets in New York City. And um, it said it was a Gucci watch, but we all know it was more like a Fuji watch, right? Uh, <laughs> Gucci watches don't make the tick, tick, tick 
sound that it made. Like, it, that's probably how they knew I had a watch in my locker. It was so loud, right? And Gucci watches don't cost $10. So in my mind, I envisioned that whoever took this watch, like, went to a pawn shop right after that, and they were thinking, I'm going to get some good money for this name brand watch. And the pawn shop owner was probably like, I'll give you 25 cents for that. Well, today we're entering into the eighth week of this series we've called your 10 greatest challenges, where we've been looking at the 10 commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And today we come to the eighth commandment. So let's read this commandment together. It's really long. It's four words. So let's read it together. Here's what it says. You shall not steal. One more time. You shall not steal. Now what comes to mind when you read this commandment? Maybe you think of a big bank heist or someone breaking into your home. Maybe you think of a car being stolen or maybe you think of an Ocean's Eleven type of big robbery where they're taken out of casino. Or maybe you think of some fuzzy gray earmuffs being swiped off of your head. I don't know. But there are a lot of ways that people break this commandment today. And the breaking of this commandment has led to a lot of heartache and headaches and as well as a lot of preventative measures that we've put into place. I mean, think about it. We do a lot today to make sure that we are not victims of theft. At our homes, we have locks, we have deadbolts, we put up fences, we have alarms, we we set up cameras. Maybe you have a a, a dog, or maybe you have a gun. I try and carry two guns with me everywhere I go. Um, On our cars, we, we, we have locks, we have alarms, we have tracking systems, we put them in garages. Think about your technology. You know, we have usernames and passwords and passcodes on our devices. We have tracking technology. We, we don't want our devices getting stolen. We don't want our identities getting stolen. But this isn't how it was meant to be, is it? I mean, there, there weren't originally fences and guards in the Garden of Eden. This is a result of the fall. It is a curse. All of the stealing, all of the countermeasures we put into place are the result of the fall. But because there is sin in this world, because the Ten Commandments establish the framework for our relationship with God and with others, one of the fundamentals of loving your neighbor is to not take their stuff. (laughs) You shall not steal. In the Old Testament, stealing had some severe consequences. It could result in you being sold into slavery if you weren't able to make restitution. Just a couple chapters later in Exodus chapter 22 We read that anyone who steals must certainly make restitution. But if they have nothing, they must be sold to pay for their theft. Meaning they would be sold into slavery to pay off their debt for stealing. And you may be thinking, wow, that's like, that's pretty extreme to sell someone into slavery to pay off what they stole. But there are some thefts today that will get you 20 years in a federal prison and a $250,000 fine. 20 years in a federal prison sounds a whole lot like being sold into slavery. There were consequences. Now, I imagine when we think about stealing, we usually think big, right? We think of big things like big bank heists or or robbing someone at gunpoint. So I want to give us a a definition of stealing that's going to help us understand what I'm talking about today. So stealing is trying to get as much as possible while giving as little as possible. Trying to get as much as possible while giving as little as possible. So if you're a person who's always trying to get something for nothing, you may struggle with the implications of this commandment. If you're a person who's always trying to cut corners or take advantage of others, you might struggle with the implications of this commandment. If you're of the mindset of having much and giving a little bit to have it, then then you need to pay attention today. 
So this commandment brings with us our eighth challenge. We've been giving a challenge for each of these commandments. And this is a challenge with integrity. And the challenge is to become a giver. To become a giver. And so today I want to talk about five areas where stealing can happen in your life. So the first area is that stealing can happen in your marriage. And this sort of goes back to what we talked about last week. We briefly touched on, on this when we talked about you shall not commit adultery. Uh, I, I was scheduled to go on vacation last week before I knew that we were going to be preaching on this. So poor Brian had to talk about a pretty heavy subject last week. He did a great job, but uh, he probably thinks I did that purposely and left him like that. But we kind of talked on this, about this last week. In general, husbands sometimes neglect the hearts and the soul of their wife, like their emotional needs, their security needs. Sometimes wives neglect the physical needs of their husbands. Again, these are generalities. But basically, we steal from our spouse when we're only interested in having our needs met and we're not interested in meeting the need of the other. Like, I'm only interested in my career pursuits and haven't supported my spouse in their career, career pursuit. I'm only interested in having the house clean, but not cleaning the house myself. I'm only interested in what brings me pleasure, but not interested in what brings my spouse pleasure. I want my spouse to listen to me, but I don't want to listen to my spouse. And the list can go on and on and on, right? We rob our spouse of mutual joy. We rob our spouse of mutual partnership, companionship, because we focus all of the attention on me, me, me. My desires, my wants, my pursuits, my pleasures. So stealing can happen in your marriage. It can also happen in your job. If you go into a business today, there are plenty of measures that businesses take to prevent uh, people from stealing. You know, maybe they have cameras or securities at the front door. But what about the back door? What about the back door? What are employees taking out the back door? According to U.S. News, the average employee steals five and a half times more than the average shoplifter. Five and a half times more. Some of you, you are employers, and you know this to be true. You are far less worried about what the customer is taking and far more worried about what your employees are taking. Furniture goes missing. Supplies go missing. Stock goes missing. You go into the computer and you go, yeah, yeah, we've got that in the back room. Let me go check. It's on the shelf. And you go into the stock room and it's not there. Where'd it go? It was in the back room, only accessible to your employees. And someone who works for you took it. And this is such a massive problem. It's almost impossible to calculate the loss. But the estimates are that companies lose some $200 billion per year through employee theft of stock and supplies. Just from their employees. Like if we went to your house right now, what would we find at your house that should actually be at your work? But in addition to stealing items, employees are guilty of stealing time. When you want a good paycheck, but you don't want to give an honest effort, that's stealing. You ever wasted time at work? Like, no, we would never do that, right? According to salary.com, the average employee wastes a little over two hours a day. A little over two hours a day. Some of you are thinking, well, what's the big deal? Like, that doesn't bother me. Well, it would if it was your company, Right? Think about it. If you went to the bakery today and ordered it and paid for eight donuts, 
Some of you are like, you had me at donuts, right? Yeah. You go and you get eight donuts and you go home and you notice there are only like five and a half in the box. You'd be ticked, wouldn't you? You'd go back and you'd say, hey, I I paid for eight donuts. Where are my eight donuts? I've got five and a half. Are your employees thinking the same thing about you? I paid for eight hours of your work and you only gave me like five and a half. We don't like to be stolen from, but we don't seem to mind stealing. And for some reason, we don't think of time as stealing. But if we're getting paid for that time and we're wasting it by scrolling through Facebook, making personal calls, shopping on Amazon, watching cat videos and then sharing them with coworkers so that they can waste their time watching cat videos, then we're stealing from our employer. The estimated total cost to companies because of employee time wasting is $759 billion per year. $759 billion. That is almost equivalent to a pastor's salary. That's huge, right? <laughs> In Titus chapter 2, uh, Paul is addressing, addressing slaves. And I know it may seem like a stretch to make the comparison, but think of this passage as I read it like an employer-employee relationship. Okay? Here's what Paul writes. He says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters. Okay? Or Teach employees to be subject to their employers. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. You're showing that you can be fully trusted. So that in every way, they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. I love that line. So that in every way, they will make the the teaching about God our Savior attractive. You know, there are some Christians, they, they kind of whine about their employers and they, they act like they're getting persecuted at work because of their faith. Like, they'll be like, my boss, she's such a jerk. She doesn't let me read my Bible at my desk. Well, of course, of course she doesn't. It's not your lunch hour. It's not your break, right? You think when Jesus was supposed to be doing his work as a carpenter, he was off reading scrolls of Isaiah, right? Do you think uh, he would do that? No, he, he had an occupation. He had a job to do. He wasn't just over off the side with his eyes closed praying, you know, head bowed. It's not to say you can't pray at work. Just keep your eyes open and keep doing your work and have a conversation with God. So maybe it's not that you're getting persecuted at work because of your faith. Maybe it's because of your poor work ethic. And you're just using your faith as an excuse not to work. But this passage in Titus shows us that your work is your witness Your work is your witness so that in every way we will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Can you be fully trusted? But it's not just employees that are stealing. Employers can do some stealing as well from their employees. We see this a lot today in our culture. The owners are getting richer and richer and the workers, they're staying poor. In scripture, this is condemned. So in a warning to rich landowners, which may be equivalent to business owners today, We read this in James 5. It says, look, the wages you failed to pay your workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. He's saying God is hearing their cries. God is seeing what is happening. Stealing is not just taking what is not yours, but it is also keeping what is not yours. Pay your workers. If you are a business owner, you have employees and you're trying to get as much as you can without giving much to get it, you are stealing. You are robbing your workers. Some of you, you, you think I'm just talking about people who own companies. 
But have you ever hired someone to do some work at your house? Pay them for the work that they did. Don't withhold it. Leviticus 19.11 says, Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. So if you agree to a price for the work to be completed, both ends need to be honored. Both ends of that agreement need to be honored. And we could add to this list when we're talking about stealing happening in your job, things like price gouging, overcharging by companies, not doing the work you say you're going to do. But the way to combat that is not to steal back from them. The way to combat that is to stop doing business with them altogether. Stealing can also happen then in your personal finances. We are a nation that lives on credit, aren't we? Most all of us have credit cards, mortgages, maybe you have a personal loan. If you're a Christian and you renege on your debt, that is stealing. We read this passage a couple weeks ago as our focus verse. Romans 13, 7 and 8 says, Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, I know you don't want to hear it. But pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And he says, let no, doubt, let no debt remain outstanding. Except there's one debt that we should continue to pay on. That we're never going to pay off. Let no debt remain outstanding except this debt. The continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So if we owe money on a bill or a loan, we should pay it. And that's why we need to be careful. We need to be careful, especially in these days of economic insecurity, before we even incur that debt. Okay? But once we have that debt, we need to do all we can to repay it. Anything short of this is stealing. And we can't just say, well, they're a big company, so they're not going to miss it. Or, well, their prices are too high anyway. They don't really need it. They have plenty. Doesn't matter, right? Listen, this, this commandment in Exodus 20 says, you shall not steal. And then there's no asterisk there. There's no footnote. There's no unless. It doesn't say you shall not steal unless they're rich. It doesn't say you shall not steal unless they, unless they deserve it. You shall not steal, well, unless, unless you have good reason. It doesn't say unless, unless they have two and they only need one. Or you shall not steal unless they're a big company. There's no footnote, no qualification, no exceptions. Don't steal. And yet we do. And so as a Christian, when we incur a debt, we repay it in full. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't try to do all you can to get the best deal and discounts and price cuts that you can get. But I am saying that once you sign the papers, once you shake on it or whatever it is, once you make that deal, you should be responsible. And that goes both ways. If you are supposed to do the work, do the work. If you're supposed to pay for the work, pay for the work. Fourth, stealing can happen in our community. I know no one wants to hear this one, but we, we want a safe, clean community. But we don't want to pay taxes or, or help in any way to make our community better and stronger. We live in a time where we want to just sit back and we want to complain and we want to criticize on social media or we want to gather to protest, but we don't want to mobilize to actually do something that will benefit others and our community. It's easy to shake our heads at what is happening in our nation and in our communities, but are we willing to do more than just complain about it? Are we willing to do more than just think about loving our neighbor? Or are we willing to do something? 
When we realize that we are in a community and we have a responsibility to be a contributing member of that community, it changes how we live. So let's read more of Romans 13. Let's go back to verse 8, but I want to read through 10. Again, let no debt remain, uh, remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I love that. Love does no harm to a neighbor. But from what I read on social media, there's much harm wished upon our neighbors if they disagree with us. It's sad. We owe it to our neighbor, to our community, to our country, to be people of love and to be people of integrity. We, we need that in our communities. Fifth, stealing can happen in your church. So uh, uh, years ago, I used to do student ministry. When we just had one campus, I used to be the student minister at our St. Albans campus. And I, I remember I had made this like student ministry display and I had put it out in our, what's now our kid zone lobby. And I, I put information about the student ministry there. And then I put up a little like computer monitor that scrolled with some information about the ministry. And then I, I put a, a little a digital picture frame up that showed a bunch of pictures of what was going on in our student ministry and events that had taken place. And one day I went back into that lobby and I saw that the monitor had been stolen and the digital picture frame had been ripped off of the wall. And I thought, man, how, how low is this? Like stealing is bad enough, but stealing from a church... But that's actually not what I'm talking about when I talk about stealing can happen in the church. You see, if stealing is trying to get all you can by giving as little as you can, then there are probably thieves among us. Some Christians want all the benefits of a church family, but they don't want to give up their time to serve, and they don't want to give in the offering. Yet the Bible is very specific about this one in Malachi 3. Verse 8 says this, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. So this is God speaking and God saying, I, I got a question for you. Are you going to steal from me? And then he concludes, well, you, you are stealing from me. He goes on, but you ask, how are we robbing you? Like immediately, what do we do? We, we know we're guilty, so we do what kids do. We're like, well, how are we robbing? Tell me, tell me what I'm doing wrong. What do you mean by stealing? Can you define that term? Well, what does it mean in the original language? Maybe there's a workaround here, right? But we know, we, we know that we're, what we're supposed to give, but we didn't give. And so God just spells it out for us. Says, we're robbing God in our tithes and offerings, in tithes and offerings. And our response is, is typically something like this. Oh boy, uh, there goes the church again, talking about my money. I don't, wanna, I don't think the church should be talking about my money. And that's the problem. We see it as my money, my stuff, my things, when it all belongs to God. We're just managing. We're just stewarding what he's already given us. When we, when we don't give what we should, we're basically telling God that we don't trust him. So a tithe simply means a tenth, a tenth. When we don't tithe, we're demonstrating to God that we don't trust him to help us make it on the, other, uh, uh, on the 90%. And so we're going to keep even more of what, it, what is already his. And so we're robbing him of the giving. We're robbing God of the giving. And as much as you won't believe me on this, I wish you would believe me on this, we're actually robbing ourselves of the blessing of giving. 
We're robbing ourselves of the blessing of giving. And I know that sounds so counterintuitive, but just try it. <laughs> you will see that there is a blessing in it. In fact, that's, that's what Malachi goes on to say. Test, test God in this. Test God and just see. And so the, these are ways that we can break this eighth commandment. But, but let's close with some thoughts about how to keep this commandment. And to do this, I want to read a New Testament version of this commandment that provides us with an alternative to stealing. In Exodus, or Ephesians 4.28, it says this, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Stop it. Don't do it anymore. But what do we do instead? But must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So what is the opposite of stealing? What's the opposite of stealing? The opposite of stealing yeah, is giving. And in order to have something to give, we have to work hard. So this passage in Ephesians says that we need to turn from stealing. If you've been stealing, steal, steal no longer. And then we must work. So we have something to share with those in need. So that word work in Ephesians means exhausting labor or working to the point of fatigue. Basically, it means to work hard. We work hard with our hands. And so hands that were once used to, to, to pilfer the property of others are now used to do something useful. And as a result, it will position them to help others who are worse off. It positions you to help those in need. So we addressed this a little bit when we talked about the fourth commandment to honor the Sabbath day. In that message, we talked about the dignity of work and the blessing of rest. But it is a privilege to be able to do something that God has given you to do. And I'm not just talking about preaching or serving up front in a church. No, I'm talking about you figuring out what God has given you to do and then you putting your hands to the plow to do it. God has, has gifted you. He has, he has given you the ability and the strength to use that gift. So find a way to work. Stop being just a taker. There are so many takers in this world. Stop being just a taker and become a giver. Put in an honest day work. Be useful with your hands. And then because of that work, you, you get something in exchange for that work. You get, you get paid for that, right? And then you'll have something to give back. But if you're just a taker, you're not following the example of Jesus. Instead, you are following the example of someone else. You're following the example of the devil. Jesus called him a thief. He is the great thief. In John 10.10, 10, we read this earlier at our focus time, Jesus said that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And that's what the devil wants to do. He, he wants to steal and kill and destroy us. He wants to take from you, to destroy you, to kill you. And he wants you to do the same, right? And if you follow in his ways, he will. He will take your reputation. He will take your marriage. He will take your blessing. He will take your confidence. He will take your identity in Christ. And he will leave you with nothing. But on the opposite extreme, the opposite end of the spectrum is Jesus, who is a giver. The devil is a thief. He's a taker. Jesus is a giver. And when we follow him, he gives he gives us life and life abundantly. John 10, 10 continues where Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have that life to the full. Have it abundantly. And so our challenge is to be a giver. And it's really a challenge in essence to be like Jesus. When we are giving, we are being like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we examine these these commandments more and more uh, on the surface level. Oftentimes, 
We think we're doing okay. We think we can check a box and say, I didn't do that. But as we examine it a little further, sometimes it steps on our toes. And we understand the, the, a little bit more of the heart of these commandments. And so God, I, I pray that you would forgive us when we are all about taking, taking, taking. When we, when we steal, maybe we're not going into a bank and stealing money, but there are so many ways that we steal. God, even with our attitudes, I pray that we would not steal someone's joy, rob them of, of their uh, fulfillment in their life by the way we treat them. But God, I, I pray instead we would follow the example of Jesus, who is the ultimate one who gave He is the giver and sustainer of life and he gave his life. And the only thing he took in return was our sins. He took our sins upon himself and gave us his righteousness, gave us hope, gave us life and life to the full, life abundantly. He gave us peace. He gave us reconciliation. He gave us the hope of eternal life spent with you. So God, may we follow the example of Jesus. May we guard ourselves from from stealing in any way that we steal. May we be givers. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so we want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. And if you you have a decision to make about Jesus, about following him, uh, I'm going to be up here to your right as we sing this last song. I'd love to talk to you about what that means what that means for you. Or maybe you just need some prayer today. And again, I'll be up here to your right with my mask on uh, during this next song. If you have a decision to make or just need someone to talk with, I'd love to be there for you. So will you stand and sing with us?